Welcome to episode 152 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is the first 40 miles. Today on the first 40 miles, last week we turned the mic over to the kids, and today we're taking it back and sharing a little bit of insight to parenting on the trail. On today's top five list, are there principles that are easier to teach outside than inside? Then we'll review a versatile, functional, rechargeable light. For today's backpack hack, A crowd pleasing, three ingredient granola recipe that's just begging for space in your pack. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. We're talking about parenting today on backpacking trips, but I think we're going to talk about a lot of things that apply not only to what our children should learn, but what adults should learn as well. There's great opportunities to learn on backpacking trips, regardless of your age, regardless of a parent child relationship. So, we'll be talking about parenting and how we help our children to have great experiences on the trail that they might not have at home. But no matter your age, you can have these amazing experiences that help you to grow. I guess I named it the trail parenting episode, but really, it could be the trail mentoring episode. If you're taking someone out, a friend who's never been backpacking, and you're taking them out for the first time, you are the mentor or kind of the, the trail parent to that friend. And same thing with scouting. A lot of those scout leaders are more like, you know, mentors or parents to those boys, helping them to achieve something greater than they would have if they were just sitting at home. But I guess as we talk during this episode, we're going to come at it from the parenting side because that's our vantage point. That's the experience that we've had with backpacking. We've been able to take our children out on trips and see them evolve over the last few years and in some really amazing and just soul satisfying ways. And that sounds really lovely and nice, but people who've been listening since the beginning. Of the first 40 miles, know that it hasn't been without challenges. Yeah, those soul satisfying <laughs> lessons that we've seen our kids learn, they've learned through hard times. And there are two types of challenges that we've noticed as we've taken our family backpacking. The first is, I guess you'd call them the logistical challenges, what it takes to actually get a child from the sofa to the trail. And then there are the experiential challenges. When they're actually there, boots on the ground, and a mini crisis arises. So, I guess let's start with the first one the logistical challenges of getting our children out on the trail. We've been gearing up for our annual fall backpacking trip. And if you listened to the episode from a few weeks ago, you know that Heather opted not to go on that trip. Well, then just a week later, we discovered the forecast was calling for a bunch of snow up in the Willabas. And so the entire trip got changed. Uh, our backpacking group decided to go car camping in Yosemite, and at that point, I opted out of the trip as well. But I'd been preparing for the trip and was packing, and I had everything pretty much ready.、Uh, and even when I opted out, I decided, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else and picked the Trinity Alps in Northern California. 
And so I adjusted my gear a little bit, but still, I was pretty much packed for the trip. But I was going to be solo. And we decided, you know what? We could probably take our two youngest kids out of school for a few days, and it really wouldn't bother things much, and they would have an opportunity to go have a great backpacking experience with me. Well, that changes the logistics of preparing for the trip. Now it wasn't just looking at my pack and saying, yep, I've got everything I need. It was looking at my pack and then two other packs and saying, okay, our youngest, we don't want him to carry too much weight. Our, our next, he can probably carry all of his stuff. And then I need to carry my stuff plus the extra stuff. I need to carry the entire tent. I need to carry half of our youngest kid's food so that we can save a few pounds on his pack. I need to make sure that I've got some extras to take care of situations that might come up. So logistically, packing for myself plus two others, not just two other adults, but two others where there's some level of, uh, of compensation on my part to make it possible for them to have a good experience and to not have more weight than they can carry, and then to make sure that they've got all the right gear they need for the weather forecast, it, boy, it adds up. And it can take a lot of time to get that sort of a trip put together. So you might look at it and say, okay, I can go by myself or I can go with my kids. If I go by myself, it'll take me an hour to pack. If I go with my kids, it's going to take me a day to pack. Do I really want to do that or do I want to just take off on my, <laughs> on my own? And ultimately, and it comes down to this every time, ultimately the opportunities outweigh the challenges. And it's not just opportunities for our children to experience these great things, but it's an opportunity for Josh as a dad to play a bigger role in his children's lives and to become not only a parent, but a friend, a mentor, a guide. So it kind of adds to the dynamics of the parenting relationship. But yeah, if we just want to focus on kids, they're learning outdoor skills, they're growing closer to each other, they're pushing themselves physically, their outdoor vocabulary is increasing, and they're figuring out what they want to glean from the outdoor experience. Our daughter spent some time in Germany this summer on an exchange, and one of the things that she wrote to us while she was over there is, I have been craving a hike so bad, and tonight I went out and just took off. And she said that that really filled her. And as her mother, I just felt so proud of her for recognizing her need to be outside and acting on it and feeling comfortable enough in an outdoor environment that she felt like she could just go get all, you know, rejuvenated and filled up from the forest and come back feeling like she got what she needed. And the logistical issues, they get easier over time. Your kids get to where they can carry more and more weight, so they're more and more self-sufficient, self-contained, and they learn a lot about preparing for a trip, about putting themselves in that frame of mind of, uh, it's, it's not how, it's not looking out the window and saying, hmm, looks like a shorts and t-shirt day. It's looking at the weather forecast for the location where we'll be and saying, okay, it's 80 degrees outside right now, but we're going camping where it's going to be a high of 60. Okay, let me think through that. They get better at it over time. And I've seen it, especially in these uh, summertime trips that we take where the weather is quite nice and, you know, the kind of trip where basically if you had nothing, you could just kind of survive out there overnight and you'd be okay. 
We had one of those trips this summer. It was just me and the boys, and uh, we went out to the Oregon coast for a few days, and I was amazed how well they did at preparing their own gear and packing everything they needed. And since it was a summertime trip with moderate temperatures, I wasn't too worried if they accidentally forgot something. They did forget a few things, but they had most of what they needed, and it was great to see how much they'd grown in their ability to prepare for a trip. So there are these extra challenges of taking your kids backpacking, but are there some challenges that we can leave at home when we go backpacking that don't exist on the trail? Definitely. I know a lot of families feel overscheduled. And one of the great things about going out on the trail is there is no schedule. Sometimes you know you have to get to a certain campsite by a certain day, but even that, it's not set in stone and you really have a lot more freedom on the trail than you do at home. Even routine changes completely when you're out backpacking. You know, at home, you're packing lunches and getting things ready for kids for school and signing forms, and all of that just evaporates on the trail. In fact, one of the great things is your food is already all prepared when you go out, and so there's minimal food preparation on the trail. Life just kind of lightens up and gets a little bit more simple, and at the same time, harder in other ways. Yeah. (laughs) It just changes, and so... I guess the struggles that you have at home aren't the same ones that you have on the trail. In fact, we've noticed with our children, there's less fighting on the trail. We love that. There's so much more space to roam that they're not right next to each other. Now, in the car, on the way to the... (laughs) On the way to the trailhead, they are right next to each other, and that can be challenging. But once we get on the trail, everything just lightens up. The the mood lightens up. The kids can kind of spread out, space out a little, and it's like we all relax. It's amazing. Some of you who are parents might be asking yourself, well, I love hiking and being outdoors, but my kids hate it. What can I do? You might be able to find some help with that question on some past episodes of the show. Episode 23 was called Short and Sweet. It was the episode all about taking children out backpacking. And episode 41 was about kind gestures on the trail, but on a deeper level, it was about the different love languages that we all have. And we mentioned ways that we've been able to attune ourselves to the love language of each of our children so that each backpacking trip offers them something that speaks to them. And I hope we're not painting too rosy of a picture because on every trip, there's some whining, there's a little bit of negativity, there's always a little bit of blaming, and there is discomfort. (laughs) So we try not to let those things overshadow the fun that we're having on the trip. Um, But we've also realized that food and rest solve a lot of problems on the trail. So before you start to worry that this is the worst trip ever and the whining will never stop, make sure your kids are well rested and well fed. And I think that solves 90% of the problems. For today's top five list, the top five life skills that are easier to teach outside than inside You can certainly teach all of these principles inside. However, the opportunity to learn these things are more likely to happen outside. 
We want our kids to learn all five of these things. But you know what? If you're an adult, you made it all the way through childhood and still need a little ways to go on any of these things, get outside on a backpacking trip. When you're out there, these lessons will come more easily. Maybe easily is not the right word, but they will come. Yes. (laughs) And indoors, at home, they might not. Well, the number one life skill that's easier to teach outside than inside is how to do hard things. With lots of things back at home, you have the ability to avoid the hard work if you want, and there's minimal consequences. Let me see if I can give an example. Let's say there's some chores to do around the house, and one of the kids decides, no, that sounds hard. I just won't do it. And you push and pepper them, and uh, yeah, they end up not doing it. And what happens? Well, not much. The living room floor is dirty, but that really doesn't have any impact on that kid who didn't vacuum the living room floor. Now go out on a backpacking trip, and the campsite is still a mile away. At that point, there really isn't that sort of oh, well, I don't feel like hiking another mile, so I'm not going to, and I'll just end up at the campsite anyway. You literally will not end up at the campsite if you do not hike that last mile to get there. And so because it's so physical, so concrete, so direct, I think it really makes those lessons have more impact, where they really realize, I worked really hard for that last mile. There were switchbacks. It was really steep getting up to that lake. But because I worked really hard to get through that last mile, I made it to the end. I made it to the campsite. If I hadn't done that, the first four miles would have been for nothing. And so I pushed through, I did something hard, and I did it all the way to the end. I didn't give up somewhere in the middle. And what's cool then is the gratification, the reward that comes from that, that delayed gratification. It wasn't just an instant, you show up at the trailhead, you look up the trail, you say, oh, that's cool. Five minutes later, boom, you're there, you're done, you, you've covered five miles. Cool. All right. It's not like that. You've got to put in the work to get to the five-mile mark, to get to the lake, to get to the beautiful campsite with the amazing view. But once you do, because you put in the work first and because you delayed that reward, and there was no option not to delay the reward, I think they learned something from that. They learned to work hard and to work all the way to the end and to know that there will be something great if they work hard at it. Oh, yeah. Our society is so adept at giving us many opportunities every day to have these dopamine hits. A little bit harder in our modern society to get those serotonin, I don't know what you call it, a wash, a uh, just a good, healthy dose of serotonin. That's what you get when you accomplish something that's hard, that you actually had to work for. The number two life skill that's easier to teach outside than inside is how to be self-sufficient. In corporate culture and in public schools, group work is a huge part of life. I hated group work when I was (laughs) in school. (laughs) I always got stuck with the work and part of me really liked it because it kind of put me in charge of my grade. But at the end of the day, when you're backpacking, you are in charge of you. And actually, at the end of the day, no matter where you are, 
You are in charge of you. But backpacking teaches this specifically. We have so many safety nets in society. If a kid shows up at school without a lunch, the school will feed the kid. And for good reason. The school wants to make sure that that kid has some blood sugar in their brain so that they can focus, concentrate, and actually learn what was being taught by the teacher that day. So it makes sense to come in with the safety net, fill in that gap, make sure they can learn at school, which is their purpose. On a backpacking trip, if you don't bring your food, you do not eat. And you learn something from that. You learn that you need to bring what you need to survive. As a parent, this is kind of a tricky one to teach because we want to come to the rescue of our children so badly. In fact, I think the older I get as a parent, you know, I see my children need me less and less. And so part of me wants them to need me more and more. But I've got to, I've got to step back and let them make their own choices, their own decisions, their own mistakes. I can't pour the orange juice for them every morning. I can't cut up their toast. That's their job. But it's kind of this gradual separation, too. You know, you don't want your children to suffer. But on the other hand, you don't want them to have it too easy or you don't want them to not face any consequences from their actions. So this is one of those things where you kind of do have to use that intuition and decide how self-sufficient your child gets to be. It's really difficult at home to really back off and say, okay, I need to give them that space to be self-sufficient, which includes giving them space to fail and to have bad experiences because of bad decisions or things that they overlooked. That's what I like about backpacking. It makes it easier for us to take that step back and let them be on their own a little more. The number three life skill that's easier to teach outside than inside is resilience. Resilience includes being prepared for things that you know will happen. Resilience also includes being prepared for things that might happen, and so you're ready in case they do. But I think there's a third part to resilience, and that's the ability to cope with the things that you did not anticipate happening, you didn't even think about the fact that they might happen, and they just happened. And resilience is that ability to say, okay, I've never faced this before, I didn't expect this to happen, I did not come prepared for this, but what do I do now? And how do we group together to figure out how to solve this problem, or to get through this particular challenge? That's a third part of resilience that I think is really powerful as a learning lesson on backpacking trips. You go out there and there's going to be certain things that you cannot control. For example, you cannot control the temperature. At home, as summer was ending, we would turn off the air conditioning and say, hey, we can ride it out. We can let the house get up to 80. We can let it get down to 70. We'll be fine. And one of our kids would keep turning on the air conditioning. When it got up to about 77, 78, turn on the AC, get it back down to 72. He can't do that on the trail. It's not possible. He can bundle up a little more. Eventually, maybe he's wearing all of the warm clothing that he brought and still feels a little bit on the cool side. Well, maybe he can start running, moving in some way. Maybe he can crawl into a sleeping bag. Eventually, there may be limits in terms of his preparedness, but resilience is learned when they figure out you know what? It's okay to be a little bit cold. 
I'll survive. Does the cold make me miserable? Does it cripple and paralyze me? Or can I still think and can I still have an experience out there even though I'm not completely comfortable? I'm not completely warm. I'm not completely dry. Maybe I'm too hot. Any of those variables, but I can still have a good experience out there. Preach it, Josh. Thanks. <laughs> this is the one that I really need help with because I understand the concept of being prepared. It's just when things don't go the way that I thought they were going to go and uh, the struggle is real. <laughs> <laughs> and this will be old news for anyone who's following us on Facebook or Twitter, but we're recording this episode the morning that, that I'm leaving on this trip with our two youngest kids to the Trinity Alps. And we may have an opportunity to practice resilience. We've prepared the best we can, but we've looked at the forecast and it's not fantastic. Next week's forecast is fantastic, <laughs> but next week's not the week that I have off from work. It's not the week where I've cleared all the meetings off my schedule. So we're going in just a couple hours and we may be uncomfortable on part of this trip. We'll see how we do and we may develop our resilience muscle a little bit more. The number four life skill that's easier to teach outside than inside is how to find your way. We all need to find our way through life, but it can be really complex and really vague, right? Thinking about what do I do after high school? What kind of job do I try to find? Uh, do I need to leave my job and find another one? What about my friends and my family? And it gets really complex. And I like how a backpacking trip boils it all down to something really concrete. Finding your way on a backpacking trip is literally that. It's following the map, following the trail signs, understanding and deciding what your goal is going to be, and then knowing that you have tools that are going to guide you towards that goal. And if you don't know where you're going, then it, it, the map really doesn't matter. But once you know, okay, I'm going for this lake, there's going to be a campsite there, it's going to be really nice, we're going to have a water source, and here's the map. Here's the compass. Here's the GPS. Here's all the things that are going to help me to get to that lake. And when it becomes that concrete, I think we bring that home with us. And I think it helps our kids to deal with the much more abstract stuff of planning their life. Yeah, it's those concrete experiences that we can then turn into allegories or patterns for our life. Your backpacking trip can turn into an object lesson. Those wet shoes that you have at the end of a really muddy hike, they don't just teach you something about footwear. Maybe they can teach you something about what happens when you slog through the mud pits of life. You know, it's not just a physical lesson. You can really take spiritual, emotional lessons from these concrete things that you're experiencing. Concrete is a really funny way to describe a forest experience, but very tangible. It's a very tangible... Granite experiences. Does that work? <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Much better than concrete. <laughs> yeah. The number five life skill that's easier to teach outside than inside is risk-taking. Again, we're surrounded by this sort of safety net at home. And also, kids grow up surrounded by other people's boundaries that have been set for them. Those boundaries that say, don't go over this fence, don't go through that door, don't go outside, uh, all of these boundaries, don't do drugs, stay in school. And there are some really important boundaries that are set for kids, but they're set by other people. And we know some kids, 
they like to push against those boundaries that other people set for them and say, yeah, but I wonder what's on the other side of that boundary. And at home or in the indoors, sometimes the consequences of pushing through those boundaries are not immediately visible, especially to a kid. They can't see five or ten years down the road and see why staying in school was such an important boundary that was set by adults. So I love how backpacking trips gives them the opportunity to find their own boundaries and set their own boundaries, not boundaries set by someone else. You go out on the trail and the walls have completely disappeared. They could go off in any direction. They could be walking on a portion of the trail that's right on the side of a cliff. And to walk just a foot or two off to the left means falling hundreds of feet down into a ravine. These consequences can be very real and immediate. And for many kids, maybe it's the first time that they have the opportunity to develop their own ability to figure out the risk level of a decision that they're trying to make. And to figure out, okay, not because someone told me so, but because I can look here and I can forecast and figure out what the consequences will be, that I'm going to stay on the side of the trail that hugs the mountainside. I'm going to grab on to that cable that's right there at the side of the trail. I'm going to tell people what direction I'm going before I hike off through the woods. I'm going to make sure I have a way to find my way back to the campsite. I'm going to keep myself dry because I know it's going to get cold tonight. And I learned on the last trip that being wet is okay when it's 80 degrees, but not okay when it's 30 degrees in the middle of the night. So they learn those things in a really hands-on way. And I think that helps them when they get back home to realize these boundaries may have been set for a reason, but regardless of whether they were set for a reason or not, they were set by someone else. So now they, they can think through these things themselves. And they can set their own boundaries, their own guardrails for their life, not someone else's. One of the interesting aspects of teaching these skills to your children is that many of these principles can be taught in silence. You, as the parent, are the silent observer, and you get to watch your child's greatness unfold. Each child needs to experience their world and have those physical learning moments. I believe your role as parent is to serve as a catalyst. So either prompting your child to try new things or being the voice of wisdom when they try to disobey natural laws. But most of the time, if you just get them out there on the trip, these five life skills will be learned naturally. For today's Summit Gear Review, we'll be reviewing the Gear Aid Spark Light. The Spark is a versatile light made by Gear Aid. They're the same folks who are keeping your gear together with tenacious tape. And they just came out with a line of flashlights. The Spark is the smallest. It's also the most lightweight in their line of flashlights. The Spark is a rectangular, bright white LED light, it has 15 LEDs, and it comes with a diffuser bag, a USB charging cable, and a little rubber hook. A few episodes ago, we talked about uh, opportunities for innovation in backpacking gear. And one of those opportunity areas was in flashlights and headlamps. You felt like companies were just taking the same form factor that they'd always taken because of how batteries used to be shaped. And they were just replacing those batteries with uh, lithium batteries. 
and replacing those incandescent bulbs with LED bulbs, and that's it. Uh, do you think this qualifies as innovation in changing the actual form factor of flashlights? That's a really great question because I believe that the lights are innovative, the spacing, the structure, you know, the way that they put it together. However, it still has a bulge, a battery bulge, <laughs> that makes it so it's not as adaptable as it could be. And I think that big bulge on the back is the lithium-ion battery. For utility, the Spark Light has three brightness settings. It goes from 25 to 160 lumens, which means that it'll run for about 5 to 25 hours, depending on how many lumens you're using. And then it also has an emergency setting which blinks SOS in Morse code, which I thought was pretty cool because most lights just flash on and off. But this one flashes SOS. All you have to do is press and hold the on button. On the back of the light, there's an adjustable metal kickstand and the spark is rechargeable. Yay! Yay! <laughs> the spark also comes with a diffuser bag and a hook so that it can be used lantern style, which I love that. When you turn on the flashlight, it shines very brightly, but then when you put it in that white diffuser bag, it glows and it's really, really a nice light. The Spark has a rugged feel to it, and I say rugged feel because without knowing it, I tried to break it. The kickstand on the light, you pull it out to about 90 degrees, but it doesn't go any further than that, and I tried to pry it off because I thought that it would uh, come out, but it doesn't go any further than 90 degrees, and it will not detach from the rest of the flashlight. So just that little kickstand is the part that moves, not the rest of the metal that's attached to the flashlight. For mass, the light alone weighs four ounces, and then when you add in the diffuser bag, the rubber hook, and the USB charger, it just bumps it up by an ounce. But you can totally leave those extras at home if you're counting ounces. The Spark is about the size of a Kit Kat bar and just as delicious. The Spark has an IPX4 rating, which means that it can handle some light rain, but not immersion. And the X before the 4, doesn't that mean that it has not been tested for, oh, like dust? But doesn't it look like it would be really resistant to dust or particle penetration? I mean, it, it has this little rubber cover over the USB port, and it has a rubberized power button. To me, it seems like I could set this in the sand on a beach or have it rolling around in the dust in a campsite, and it wouldn't really be bothered much. It's kind of funny that they didn't have it tested for... Uh, for dust or solid particle penetration. I wonder if that's because it has the um, the mount for a tripod on the bottom. Maybe any kind of hole makes it so it, it can't be IP rated for dust. I don't know. Hmm. But yeah, it does have a very rugged feel to it. So, I mean, I would give it an IP. No, I can't. <laughs> I'm not qualified to give IP ratings. But uh, yeah, it seems like a very rugged light. Uh, in fact, it was drop tested. Do you want to guess how many meters it can drop? Uh, one? No, two meters. Well, actually, I, it could be more than that. Mm -hmm. But they drop tested it to two meters, and uh, 
No, I was I was okay? thinking that you were going to say that you drop tested it or oh. our, our kids did. <laughs> I, I could really imagine that one of our kids dropped it down the stairs and it tumbled down. And now, this was like a a gear a gear aid thing. They okay. actually drop tested it for investment. The gear aid spark is fifty dollars, and for trial. We mentioned that it has a tripod mount on it, which is really cool for those of you who are bringing your tripods on the trail. That was about the first thing that I noticed that was different about this light. Well, the shape of the light, of course, is different, being kind of flat, rectangular. But I saw that hole on the bottom and said, "Oh, that's cool! I could screw this onto my tripod." Even that little, tiny、uh, microflex tripod that I have that's just five inches tall. Would hold this no problem, and then I could direct it、uh, in a particular direction. I, I couldn't point it straight up; my tripod would fall over. But、uh, I could, you know, rotate it around a little bit up, a little bit down. Of course, if I had one of my larger tripods, like our ZipShot, I could point this in any direction, including up or down. That'd be pretty cool. As far as features that I like on this flashlight, I love the kickstand. It makes it so the light can be directed. And it gives it a feature that most flashlights don't have. I also like that the kickstand is wide enough to fit my fingers through, so I can just carry it in my hand and use it like a flashlight. So you're saying you would just pop out the kickstand, like to that 90 degree angle, maybe, or somewhere in there, and you can fit. I can fit all four of my fingers through the kickstand, so I'm holding it, kind of knuckle style. I、uh -huh. guess it's it's like.、Uh, Brass knuckles? <laughs> okay, not really. Just like that. <laughs> LED knuckles, plastic. Want to fight? I also liked that the on button is somewhat recessed and almost protected by the kickstand, so that it won't just turn on accidentally while it's in your pack. Or at least the chances are greatly reduced. I also really liked the diffuser bag. It's similar to the Luminoodle. Which also comes with a diffuser bag, and it just gives everything a soft glow. This flashlight is a little bit different in that it doesn't give you a directed beam of light. It's more like a floodlight. It's very powerful, and it doesn't pinpoint one certain area. It it really floods the area with light. Yeah, it's almost 180 degrees of light output in all directions. It of course fades off a little bit as you get to the 180 mark, but that's a pretty even light all the way across the 180 degrees. Another clever feature that this light has is that the charge indicator lights don't stay on while the flashlight is in use. So when you turn the flashlight on, you'll see those little charge indicator lights light up, but then they turn off immediately. So you get the information that you need, and it doesn't glow red like some electronics do. Like they always want to tell you how charged up they are. So this is nice. Yeah, they say, "Look at me! I'm here! I'm here! I'm on! I'm on!、I'm、still alive, fully charged. Oh, now I'm three quarters charged. Oh, now halfway charged. <laughs> Better use me before I die." <laughs> yeah, but this just turns on for the time that it needs to, and I thought that was a good,、uh, a good feature. So we will have the link to the Gear Aid Spark Light in today's show notes, and you can find those at thefirst40miles.com/slash152. For today's backpack hack of the week. Three ingredient all natural granola. We've shared another granola recipe on the show. It was in episode 107. It's called high fat granola. That recipe is also in Heather's book Trail Fuel. You can pick up Trail Fuel on Amazon or the Apple Store. 
The difference between that recipe and this one is simplicity. That recipe has six ingredients and takes 30 to 40 minutes to cook. This recipe has half as many ingredients and takes half as long to cook. Yeah, this granola is about as unprocessed as you can get. I love it. I love that it's simple, it's healthy, it's nuggety, if that makes sense. So what you'll need is three cups of oats. It can be any kind of oats that you want. A half cup of natural peanut butter. And then a quarter cup of honey. But if you have a little bit of a sweet tooth, it's okay. You can use up to a half cup of honey and the recipe will turn out perfect. So you want to preheat the oven to 350, mix your ingredients, and then spread the mixture on a parchment lined baking sheet and bake for 15 to 18 minutes. Then let everything cool and store it in an airtight container. And we'll leave you today with a little bit of trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, St. Francis of Assisi. Well, this quote relates to our topic that we started with today about parenting on the trail. He said, It is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. With lots, of, <laughs> with lots of things at home. <laughs> when you look at the back of it, you think Kit Kat. That's a Kit Kat. Mm. I could eat that. I'm hungry. I want some Kit Kat. Give me a break.